Hey everybody, you're listening to Living Theology with the Luby Brothers, a podcast dedicated to understanding and living out the gospel. The gospel that brings us to God and transforms us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. We are your hosts, Doug, Greg, and Mark Luby. We are continuing our hard questions about the Christian faith today. And Greg, can you reintroduce to us just the project that you're doing and tell us the question that we're going to be answering today? Yeah, I'm just leading a 10-week course on hard questions of the Christian faith, the top 10 questions that we've kind of been getting on the college campus as we've had conversations with non-Christians as well as Christians that kind of can trip people up about Christianity. So we looked a little bit at exclusivity the last week and how can there only be one path to God but this next week we're going to be going over the topic of hell and specifically the question that we hear most often is how can a loving God send someone to hell so we figured the best way to start was by each giving our answer of how we would actually answer this question if we were asked how could a loving God send someone to hell or what are ways that we have answered that in the past so Doug would you start us off by uh, how would you answer this question? How could a loving God send someone to hell? So my two to three minute answer to this question is to think through three more questions. To think through what is God's love? What is heaven? And where do humans stand in relation to God? Because sometimes we take the love of God as if it is something that stands above all his other characteristics and we almost pit his love and his justice against one another or love versus wrath or love versus grace and say that over all of that love wins but the reality is we can't separate out any of god's characteristics but thinking of first john it says that god is love and that god is light And often we think of God being love, but not of him being light. So to understand God, we can't just take one component of who he is and isolate it. Because it's not as if there's individual pieces of God, but he's totally integrated in the wholeness of who he is. So to realize, first of all, that God's love can't be pitted against his justice, I think is really helpful. Mm -hmm. Another question is, what is heaven? And one of the verses we talked about last week is John 17, 3, which says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So there he's saying that eternal life is knowing God. And if we look at Revelation 21, it describes heaven as the dwelling place of God being with man. So what is heaven? It is being with God. It's not just some good place out there where we have material blessings around good people. It's engagement with God. So if somebody does not want relationship with God here on this earth, they shouldn't think that they would want heaven because what they're rejecting here in Christ is what's offered there. And this last question is, where do we stand in relation to God? Because I think sometimes we think that we're all kind of neutral. We've got the scale of good and bad, but the way that the Bible talks about us is that we are made to bear his image, but we walk against him. We live as enemies, and sometimes we don't feel like enemies, but we've rejected 
to follow Christ as king. So we're standing in treason to him. So we don't stand in a neutral place. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for the answer, Doug. I would say if I was asked the question, how could a loving God send someone to hell? I would agree that I think a really good understanding is to have is what we're actually made for in the first place. And I think Jesus does a good job in John 17, 3 of describing what we were made and designed for, which is to experience life with God. And you mentioned that verse. And then it's the question of if we were made for that, what's the storyline of scripture? And I think what we see in the storyline of scripture is that we were made to know and experience life with God. And yet we reject that and we sin against him. We were supposed to live under his authority in this world. And yet we've sinned and rebelled against him. In Romans 3, it talks about the way that humanity has fallen from God and in disobedience to him. And it says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And I would just say, even in this conversation, that I understand that that is accurate of humanity, but more personally, I believe that's actually accurate of me. And it's not some problem outside of me, like this is a problem with the world, but I understand that that's actually a problem with me. And just knowing my own sin, I really would say personally, for me, it is consistent. It makes sense that God would have justice and be able to sentence me to hell for my sin. When I ultimately look at I have no pleading before him to say, you should let me into your presence. Um, this is what I deserve from you. I really do believe that I deserve nothing from him. And so I think the big tension that the Bible actually answers isn't how could a loving God send someone to hell? I think the big tension that the Bible answers is how could a loving God possibly, or how could a just God possibly let us into his presence? How could we possibly have life when we've fallen from his grace? And that's where I think Jesus comes into the story where when Jesus comes to the earth, he lives the perfect life in our place. He dies on the cross and is crucified as though he was the worst of sinners. And in a sense, he's taking hell on the cross because he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If life is knowing the father and knowing the son, Jesus on the cross is experiencing death in the truest sense of which he's physically being killed and he's experiencing the punishment of sins from his father. And so uh, I believe ultimately I owe, I, or God owes me nothing. I deserve nothing from him. And yet his grace is shown to me and that he would send his son to die, to take punishment, to take the separation, in a sense to take hell for himself on the cross and taking the punishment. And so that would be the fundamental way I would answer it is saying, I believe ultimately I deserve nothing and yet God's grace is shown to me. And I know that's true of me. I don't think in a conversation I necessarily always going to say like, and you have this sin, but I would say, I know that's true of me. I know that I deserve this. And if humanity is anything like me, I think this is just. Great. Thanks, Mark. I think you guys have hit on most of the stuff that I usually talk about. And again, whenever this question comes up, there's so many different ways you can go with it based on where people are at and what they're asking about specifically but i usually do try to focus on 
our original purpose is to know, love, and glorify God. That's the reason we're created. That's the reason we're given breath. And then the nature of sin is rebellion against that. We are essentially saying to God, I don't want to have anything to do with you. You're not good. You're not God. You're not worthy of following. And this sin isn't just a one-time thing we do, but it's outside of Jesus Christ. It's a condition of our hearts of constantly rejecting God. And we actually become, the Bible says, enemies of God. And in our sin, we're at enmity with God. We continue to push him off. And that idea doesn't always sit super well in our culture. But I think the reason for that is often we're not the enemies of the God we've created in our mind. But when it comes to the God of the Bible, we're at enmity with that God and we're opposed to him. So anyways, that's kind of a brief tangent there. But I think overall, the question I really try to get to is, does the punishment fit the crime? Because hell seems like an unbelievably severe punishment place. And it is. When you look at the Bible, the words are so intense as Jesus talks about hell, what it is, what it looks like. And for my journey kind of through this process, that's what I had to wrestle with. And I think that what I realized is that through human reasoning and logic, I'm not probably going to get to a place where this makes sense in my mind. Because what has to change is more so than just a logical shift. It has to be my view of God's worthiness and greatness. And the phrase, I don't know if I made it up or heard it somewhere, I think I heard it somewhere, is that sin against an infinitely great God warrants an infinitely great punishment. And if God is infinitely worthy, if he is infinitely great, then sin and rebellion against him does warrant an infinitely just punishment. And God in having hell and sending people to hell is just and good. And one day as we stand before God, no one will have an objection to his justice. Everyone will see that it was right and good. But overall, the place that I have to get to is seen this i do deserve hell because of my sin that's a condition of all of our hearts unless god changes it and yet what i always try to get to is the message of the cross that we deserve hell and that's what our sin warrants and yet christ on the cross took the wrath he took the punishment of god in our place so that when we put our faith in christ we can be brought to god and god in his love in order that we don't have to experience hell sends christ and so i try to get people to that point of realizing they don't have to experience that. And God in his love gives us a way to not experience that through Christ. And if we minimize hell, what we're doing is we're minimizing God's love and we're minimizing God's justice and his grace and his mercy. And yet in the cross, you see all that come together in really a beautiful way and you see the truth and the promise that if your faith is in Christ, you have to have no fear of hell or punishment for eternity because Christ stood in our place and took the wrath yeah. of God for us. Yeah. Mm. I'm thinking all of our answers were saying an attack on the just general assumption that we have that we don't deserve hell. And I think that's kind of the main thought in this question. How could a loving God send someone to hell, which is terrible, if we don't actually deserve it? Yeah, yeah. And that probably just comes down to a lot of our understanding of the nature of sin, I think. And Mark, I think you mentioned something about this last week, but we often think of ourselves as neutral towards 
you were talking about yeah. it in relation to logic, I think, but that we're neutral observers or we're neutral in our thinking, but that's probably where a lot of that assumption comes from is thinking that towards God, we're neutral. Whereas as the Bible talks about it, we're not neutral towards God, but our sinful condition is that we don't seek God. We can't do good. We can't please God. We're opposed yeah. to God. We're at enmity with God. And I think with that too, in our we sin. view ourselves sometimes it's neutral, but I mean, especially in our thinking, we think we have this ability to be so unbiased in what we think. But then when I think it comes to a question like this, we often view also ourselves as the hero of our own story. And so <laughs> it's like, of course, I'm justified in all the things I do. Doug, you've mentioned this before, uh, but whenever you watch like a superhero movie, even if the superhero uh-huh. is like a jerk to everyone else in his life, it's completely justified because yeah. he has like the weight of the whole city and all these problems <laughs> and he's fighting evil in the world. And even when he's, you know, not good to his girlfriend or whatever, it's like, well, it's justified. You can mm-hmm. understand where it's coming from. And I think we do the same thing. We sort of put ourselves in the storyline of our lives and we say, I'm really the hero. I'm the good guy. Um, mm-hmm. How could a loving God send me to hell? Like, I'm the hero of my own story. That's that's not coherent for me to somehow think that I'll be judged. And I think that's just one of the things, Greg, like you're saying, we can sort of view ourselves on this neutral or positive plane. But what if the reality is that we're actually not the hero of our own stories? And I've experienced this multiple times where in relationships, I've hurt someone badly. And it kind of strikes me that I'm not actually the hero in this story. I'm the bad guy. Like I wasn't, <laughs> I, I, Ouch. yeah, like I was a jerk. Like I'm not the hero of my own story, which is what the gospel means is that Christ is the hero and he redeems us yeah. and forgives us, but we're not the heroes of our own stories. But that's the ideology that I think is so fundamental to how we think as Americans, especially. Yeah, I think uh, one verse that's just coming to mind right now, I'm pretty sure it's out of Job. It's God saying, would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn Mm -hmm. me to justify yourself? And it's kind of saying like you're essentially discrediting the justice and goodness of God in order to justify yourself. And I think that's what we just... naturally doing ourselves what do you think are some of those ways that we actually discredit god's justice or we justify ourselves like how how does that actually look when it's played out i think of even genesis 3 where the first lie deception in the garden is you will be like god if you sin against god so then you're going to be able to determine what is right and wrong you'll have the knowledge of good and evil So part of the original deception is we can be like God, determining right and wrong apart from what God says. Hmm. That's the very beginning of sin. And I think this question is part of that, is we see ourselves as the ultimate determiners of right and wrong. And we think that we have the right ability to do that. We realize maybe we're a bit skewed or maybe we're blinded by our perspective, but we think overall we're still pretty good at it. But the original sin is thinking, I will be like God if I determine what's right and wrong. And then that brings death and sin and chaos into the world. Yeah, I I think that's a really good point, Doug. The original sin, that's one of the things that I think 
is a reoccurring thing. I've realized that no, yeah, I, I haven't realized this on my own, obviously, but I've realized that no sin is actually unique. We're just saying the same <laughs> thing over and over and over again. Uh, even, yeah. I mean, just all the different perspectives of, you know, I'm going to be actually the one who determines right and wrong for myself. I'm going to be the judge and I'll choose the way I live my life. That's exactly what happened in the garden. Eating the fruit is saying, I want to throw off your rule and I'll be judge of what's good. And I believe you're actually holding out on me. And yeah, no, no different than anything I've ever done or anything that anyone has ever done in our sin. Yeah. And if God is the ultimate judge, which he is in scripture, then we don't have the right to determine the sentence for our crime. If you take someone who's convicted of murder, they don't decide what their punishment will be. Yeah. If you took a group of murderers and put them all on the bench to be the trial of their peers, that would also be a wrong group to determine the sentence for them. And I think we see that in criminal courts as we think about them here, but then in this ultimate court before God... We're also biased yeah. to like determine that our sin, our crime actually isn't that bad. And one way I've heard that said before is that in some ways we're so determined in ourselves to believe that we're good or that we don't deserve hell, that we're huh. willing to go to hell for it. And we'd be more willing to actually go to hell than admit that we are sinful that we need a savior and that'll be something that you hold on to eternally ultimately yeah one of the ways that sinclair ferguson says that is that the justice and wrath of god is offensive but it's also sometimes even much more offensive to offer the mercy and grace and forgiveness of god because it says you are not good enough hmm. therefore christ is necessary so it's like, oh, even just the grace of God is an offense because it says, I'm not good enough. Yeah. It kind of smashes your hero narrative. Yeah. And I think that's why the first step of the gospel is really tied together with humility. And you need to accept being saved and admit that you need to be saved. And so that's why you need to be poor in spirit and humble in order to understand and believe the gospel is kind of the first step in is acknowledging yeah, yeah. a total that we need jesus to be our hero yeah and kind of along those lines that's a question that i often ask people with heaven and hell just that idea is what are we being saved from in the gospel because i think that question is foundational yeah. to understanding the gospel and what i've realized as i've asked that question in college campuses is that most of the time the answer to that question is not hell or God's wrath, but the answer is usually purposelessness, kind of being lost, uh, things along those lines, meaninglessness, things that are probably more culturally based ideas and values than biblical ones. And I think that when we understand that in the gospel, we're saying we're being saved from God's wrath to God's love, that's a pretty big difference in the way that we see the gospel and also just i really i think the delight that we have in the gospel because god's justice and 
his love is magnified as we see the weight of what a rebellion deserves. Yeah, Greg, I think that's a great point. Even just that you've picked up on that of what are we saved from and the ways that we answer that of purposelessness, other felt needs that are addressed in Christ, but not the most fundamental need. And I think one of the things you've mentioned before is just that people kind of minimize hell, that, hey, this isn't the main point. We shouldn't emphasize it. Where do you think that comes from or what do you think are issues with? just trying to get away from talking about yeah. hell. Yeah. I think that a lot of the way I think about that is a little bit of what we talked about last week with reactionary doctrine. And sometimes I think that our doctrine or the way we function instead of being biblically based almost has a tendency to be hmm. a response to things that we've seen in culture or ways that we've maybe seen in Christianity, the message of Christianity spread in a way that didn't go over super well. So the example that I have is sometimes there'd be street preachers at CU and some of them, I saw a couple of them do it pretty well, but a lot of the time they'd be there kind of <laughs> shouting names at you. And I remember one time I was walking by and someone shouted a derogatory name at me and I was like, you don't even know me. I'm actually, I'm on the, I guess maybe not in your side because yeah. I don't know where they're coming from, but yeah. I'm on, yeah. I'm a Christian and I'm on blast now and you're name calling and you don't even know me. Um, <laughs> and so I think that most people in our culture, when they think about the idea of hell, that's what they're thinking about. And that's what they think it means to preach hell is we're being judgmental. We're looking down on people. And so then what we pendulum swing to mm -hmm. is we kind of just avoid the topic for fear that will be associated with that. And I don't think that's a good response to that. I don't think that's the way that we're called to do that. And I think that more of our heart needs to be brokenheartedness as we speak on the idea of hell. Just when we talk about hell, it should be marked with tears. When we think about the reality of that for our friends, when we think about that for the world, it should be marked by mm. the sense of I didn't do anything to get myself out of a place where I'm not going to hell. It's only through Christ. And so it should be a brokenhearted joy that we have as we speak on the idea of hell and as we share it with others. And what I noticed when I was at CU, I would do these uh, investigative Bible conversations where we invite just anyone on our floor to come have pizza, ask their hardest questions about Christianity is that the topic of hell would always come up and we'd pretty bluntly have people ask, do you believe I'm going to hell if yeah. I don't believe in Christ? And yet I had, we had a relationship with these people and they knew that we cared about them. And it was surprising that when I said, you know, I do believe that that's the case, that if you don't accept Christ, you'll be in hell for eternity. There was almost a different tone on my whole floor that week because I think it, that just hit people in a way where they knew that this guy's not judging me or looking down on me. He legitimately yeah. believes that. And um, I just noticed that that kind of made people really think and question. Yeah. And and really a, probably the first time they've ever heard that in love, but actually addressed. And so I'm being willing to say that I had one guy <laughs> addressed me super confrontationally one time and he just said 
you know, I'm Jewish and you're telling me if I don't believe in Christ, then I'm going to go to hell. And I said, you know, I do believe that. And he said, wow, you're the wow. only Christian who's ever been willing to tell me that. <laughs> and it was like, in a positive I had a like, similar conversation gutsy. with one of my like Jewish friends on my floor, my freshman year of college. He's like, wait, I believe in God. I believe in the old Testament scriptures. And you're saying, if I don't accept Jesus, I'm going to hell. And my roommate and I kind of looked at each other. There were a dozen people in the room and we're just nervous. And we say, <laughs> yes, we believe that. And the room is just silent. And my friend responds, wow, you can tell me that you think I'm going to hell. And yet I know for sure that you love and care for me and we can be friends. <laughs> And I was just like, oh. yeah, <laughs> I was so cool. nervous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 It is offensive. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I, yeah. I do think one of the fears I've had at times is I don't want to be the guy that talks about hell. I mean, if there's two things that sometimes we fear, mm-hmm. I think in Christianity right now, there's more than two, but two of them would be being legalistic as being a rule guy you know what i mean and like just a killjoy because you're all about the rules (laughs) and all serious like that or the other one is like being the hell guy like oh this guy's like too serious about hell and you got to tone him down a little bit like no one wants to be seen Mm -hmm. as that but one of the things that struck me lately is how talking about hell is actually loving it's actually very loving because no no one outdoes jesus ever and his greatness in anything. But when you think about like the way Jesus talks about hell, he was serious about it. He really did talk about it. And it was several weeks ago or maybe a month ago. It was a while ago. I was teaching to the students and I brought up the idea of hell in one of my messages. And I quoted Jesus where he says, um, so he said, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better to, for it is better that you lose one of your members then you, that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand caused you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be go into hell. And I remember when I mentioned that, it was sort of like this reaction in the room of like, oh man, that's intense. And there was sort of like a, a silence and a response to it. But it, one of the things that was striking to me is Jesus talks about hell. And I mentioned that one and told them, you know, Jesus talks about hell, but he was incredibly serious, but he was also incredibly loving because he knows that like it really is an eternal thing that we're talking about. There really is an eternal call, an eternal destiny. And if you want more evidence that Christ actually cares and is loving when he's talking about hell, you know because he's actually going to go to the cross and be crucified so that we could escape hell and the wrath of God. And so I was like, no one's going to be more loving. And yet he's incredibly straightforward and just saying, this is a reality. Like, this is real. And I think that when that's done well with a sort of a love, I think it can be something that's received. And obviously there's still could be that people hear that and they're like, that's just so unbelievably offensive. I, I can't stand that. But I think there is something to the idea of it is a, it is a loving thing to actually mention and talk about. But to do well and with wisdom, obviously. Yeah. One of the YouTube videos that I really like about this is by Penn Jillette, who's 
from Penn and Teller, which is a magic show. They do really well. He's brilliant and an atheist, but the YouTube video is just titled A Gift of a Bible, and he talks about someone coming up, giving him a Bible, and he begins to talk about how he doesn't respect Christians who don't share their faith, even though he totally opposes them in their beliefs, because he says, if I believed that you were about to get hit by a bus, I would move you out of the way of the bus even if you didn't believe the bus was real. Hmm. like It's a cowardly thing, he's saying, to not tell someone. Now, I totally disagree with you that hell exists, that heaven exists, that God is real. But what he's saying is if you genuinely believe this, how much do you have to hate a person to not tell them that? And that's his exact wording, which is powerful, even coming from someone who doesn't believe this. And I think that gets us to, if we really believe that hell exists, we want to tell people about it. And now fear of hell doesn't make someone love Jesus, but it is a component of how God works in people's lives to bring them to the cross, where God's love and justice are perfectly displayed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's good. I I think to talk a little bit about some misconceptions of hell might be helpful too, because I think those are Mm -hmm. pretty abundant. Um, Greg, Doug, and I were talking about this earlier. Have you seen the show The Good Place? I've heard about it. Yeah. Doug, can you say just a little bit, kind of like, what's the theology of the afterlife in The Good Place, as thus far it's been revealed in the show? Yeah. I think... Even with some of the twists that happen in the show, it gives a good picture of what people think the afterlife will be like, where good people are separated out from bad people, and basically all the good people go somewhere with angels. God's not there, but nobody cares because they're not that concerned about God. But they're there with other good people with as much as they want, with nice homes, with life that's customized for them. They're given their actual soulmate. And so it's just all these material blessings with the worst people taken away from them. So the idea is that if you're good enough, you get to the good place and you get material blessings along with other good people. I think that's even not the even though they wouldn't say this is exactly what heaven is like, I think that's kind of our underlying cultural idea of what heaven would be. Yeah, yeah. And I think we experience a couple things because there's probably uh-huh. two two things that are presented in it. One is the underlying assumptions we actually have about good, evil, and afterlife, if it's believed in. And the second, I think, is also just it's an ironic and humorous show And so in a lot of ways, I think it's more than anything, it's also just pointing irony at the, or it's pointing humor at the idea of this ridiculous idea of a concept of hell. Yeah. And I think this is nothing new, obviously, but I think a lot of the ideas that are presented in it are similar to almost what I would call like the Tom and Jerry theology of heaven and hell. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, we grew up watching Tom and Jerry and whenever you see hell and heaven presented in Tom and Jerry, it's the same ideas. Those are the culture ideas of heaven and hell. It's this 
you know, you go to hell and Satan's ruling there and is terrible punishment, but it's really, uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's sort of a, it's sort of a laughable reality on one, in one real way. And then heaven mm-hmm. is sort of this, you know, your harps and you're floating. It's not a real physical location. You don't do anything that's real there and God's not really there, but you're just kind of there. But I think it's similar to what C.S. Lewis talks about in his book, The Screwtape Letters. He talks about kind of this idea of having the devil pictured in red tights and this just ridiculous image of the supernatural that kind of gets people to say, I I couldn't possibly believe in that. Or if they do believe in it, to then still sway to another untenable position, which is I can get myself there and I'm fine in myself. Um, so I guess, yeah, what, what are some other misconceptions we see surrounding the idea of hell? Yeah, I think along the lines of what you're saying of Satan there and a pitchfork wearing red with horns, the idea that he's ruling hell versus one of the things that we were talking about before is that Satan doesn't rule hell. In scripture, it's clear that hell is prepared for him to be tormented there. So Satan's not in charge of hell. He dreads it. He's going to end up there himself. It's not his domain. It's his terror. It's the place that God has made. Yeah. Coming out of this, what are some of the major points then? And we talked a lot about different ideas of hell, the gospel. What are some of the sticking points coming out of this that are helpful to remember as we discuss this question? For me, I think the main one is just this question leads us right to the cross and this question is going to be heavy and apart from the gospel it's just there's no hope there's no solution but christ on the cross takes the wrath of god that we deserve upon himself he steps into our place in love and takes it and so how can a just and loving god send someone to hell like he sends christ to take the wrath that we deserve on the cross and he sends his own son to step into our place to take that for us and so god is so loving and that he'd be willing to do that and also lay down his life so that we don't have to experience that and it's just an incredible pointing to the weight of his love and the majesty of his grace and Ephesians 2 7 says it's going to take eternity to know the immeasurable riches of God's grace expressed in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus and so just to know the implications and the grace and the love of Christ on the cross and what he did for us it's going to take eternity to begin to understand the weight of that yeah Greg I love that even just as the answer to how can a loving God send someone to hell to realize that he himself took on the full weight of hell, that Christ on the cross bears the full weight of the wrath of God. Yeah, that's an astounding thing, that this is what we believe and hold to. I think also, like this idea that we talked about earlier, of heaven is having relationship with God forever, loving and worshiping him, following him in obedience, joy, freedom. And what's rejected for heaven 
is what's offered here. Um, so if people reject Christ now, there's not some alternative heaven out there, but that's what's being rejected, the true heaven of relating with God yeah. and loving him. Yeah. Totally. The last thing I'd kind of think as well is just the, I think the nature of our sin is that even if hell in a hundred trillion years would be opened up and God would say, you can come if you want, I think people would say no, because heaven is being with God, wanting to be with him in his presence, loving and delighting in him. And um, I think the nature of our fallen hearts is that we would never choose God in ourselves unless God intervenes and saves us. Yeah, along with that, Greg, I think at one point I kind of asked the question, will we sin in hell? Or, I mean, not me, but will like will people sin in hell? And I think I realized that's all they'll do. I mean, how would they have a transformed heart that all of a sudden loves God if they're in this place of judgment and punishment and also of disconnection and still a, a hatred towards God? It's like that really is like the fate of what I have always rejected, I continue to reject. And even just thinking about that of, like you said, if, if it's it's not like if the doors one day open up, all of a sudden it's, I, I made a mistake, but I've changed my mind. The issue is we actually need a transformed heart and a transformed mind. And Christ is bringing into the world his kingdom, uh, where he is bringing about his people who will have transformed hearts, transformed minds, who will be raised with him. And so we should probably talk about this at some point. Uh, I think do a discussion on heaven, if not a series on heaven, mm-hmm. because I think, like I mentioned earlier, so much of our theology of heaven and hell, I think is informed by cartoons and some sort of agreeably laughable ideas. And I don't mean laugh in Greek mythology. Yeah, exactly. Like, so I don't mean that the biblical picture is actually laughable, but I think it's accurate, but I think that our ideas and conceptions of heaven and hell are actually laughable. So when I watch a show like The Good Place and I see the presentation of heaven, I don't feel like my Christian faith is under attack by what's presented there because I'm like, that's not at all what the Bible presents as a biblical picture of heaven, hell, or judgment. It seems so far mystified. And maybe there's some underlying things that I would say, I, I could agree with that. I could see that. But also understanding it, it's satire. And I think it's representative of how lightly we take the topic as um, mm-hmm. as a culture in the first place. Um, an, another idea I think I would ask you guys about as a, sort of a sticking point is this idea of judgment. Um, it seems to me, and I would like your guys' thoughts on that, that everyone kind of has an idea of justice that they want kind of inflicted in this world or that they want brought about. How does hell, or does it in any way, give us answers to even what are like some of our cultural movements? If you think about something like right now we have the Me Too movement where people are blowing the lid off of injustices done and people are crying out for justice. What about that desire for judgment? Yeah, there is hope for the Christian that God will right all wrongs. There's also peace for us in that I don't have to be the avenger because God is the one who will make all things right. So that it changes the way that I can even care for people who are doing 
evil things, while still acknowledging that it's sin, it's wrong, that there is judgment that exists here on this earth through our government or other things, and there are valid good outcries against evil. Um, but the peace that we have, that the evil in the world won't just go unpunished, but there actually will be justice. God cares about the poor. He cares about the oppressed. He kills, cares about those who are abused. And these things that we don't understand of evil right now will be dealt with. One way that I've heard it said is that Christianity is the only worldview, or I guess understanding God as a judge is the only way that you can actually stop cycles of violence and stop systematic violence and things because if someone comes and kills your family members how can you not take up the sword and avenge yourself like how could you ever tell someone to not get revenge in that case if there's no justice that's ever going to take place or ever going to happen but if you understand god is the judge he will do right he will right all wrongs in the end that's the only way you can stop anything any cycle of violence and i, and I think it's a miss misinformed perspective because everyone's going to cry out for their justice but the question is do we actually want god's justice and that's where I think the question of hell comes in. It, it says there is justice in the world. Every wrong, every evil is accounted for. And yet, who's the judge? It's not us. It's not in our hands. It's in God's hands. And I think that's one of the things that's been talked about. But ultimately, even there, it's in God's hands also through the cross uh, as an offer of forgiveness, that there is love and justice offered through Christ and freedom from, freedom from wrath in total confidence that we will be passed over um, in judgment for our sin because it's been taken fully by Jesus. So Greg, do you have any final thoughts then? Yeah, I think the two final thoughts I'd have, one is just in order to even begin to understand this topic, what needs to grow, what needs to be increased more than anything is our view of God and his worthiness. And this question has to just lead me to that end of saying, there's things about this I don't fully understand. I don't always understand how hell could actually be, how my sin could actually warrant that great of a punishment. But instead of that leading me to reject God or say he's not good or abandon the Bible, what I want that to lead me to is saying, how great is God? How worthy is God that sin against him is that offensive so i think that just leads me to realize my view of god is what needs to grow more than anything and so that's one thing i just pray continually is lord we let my view of you just increase and grow and that's the only way i think i'm gonna get any sense of peace when it comes to this question is my view of god's greatness growing and then the last thing is as we think about this topic like most topics we can respond to it one or two ways we can say, I don't believe this, I don't believe that hell is real, therefore I'm going to abandon what the Bible says or make God into my own image and kind of redefine it outside of biblical means. But I think instead of that, what it should lead us to do is saying, you know, there's heavy truths here. I don't fully understand all of this, and I don't always 
understand what judgment will look like or how that'll all play out. But I trust God. I know that his judgments will be good. And I want to live my whole life helping others know Jesus and helping give people an opportunity to hear Christ and respond so they don't have to experience hell. So I think, again, this should lead us to action and to giving up our whole lives to spreading the message of the gospel. Thanks for joining us for this episode. We hope it's of encouragement to you and that you join us next time for another discussion. The music excerpts for this podcast come from the song Enthusiast by Tours, which is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. More information can be found in the show notes.